Welcome to the Dr. J Show with your host, Dr. J. Herrera, DPT. Dr. J is a doctor of physical therapy and has dedicated himself to helping people like you reach your peak potential in health, wellness, and fitness using science-based physical therapy principles. To learn more, please go to drjherrera.com. The content contained in this show is for informational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Please consult a qualified healthcare professional for individual health or medical advice. Dr. J. Herrera, show participants, and or Herrera Research Institute, LLC, are not liable for damages claimed by the listener. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the definition or the meaning of the term evidence-based practice, also known as science-based, also known as research-based. You'll see on my website at drjherrera.com in a lot of my podcasts where I talk about evidence, research, uh, studies, excuse me, this is all synonymous. we're, We're talking about the same thing. So what I thought I'd do is talk about what it means. What does it mean to you, the listener, who may not have the medical terminology background to know what it is when we're clinicians like myself are saying or talking about evidence-based, research-based, science-based. Well, to understand what evidence-based practice is, we need to first understand the, the, what it's based around, which is the evidence-based medicine principle. So the evidence-based medicine principle can be the explicit judicious use of current best evidence in making decisions about the care of individual patients. So the application or the implementation of evidence-based medicine framework to clinical practice is actually evidence-based practice. So we're using the evidence that science provides in our practice setting to treat patients, therefore we're calling it evidence-based practice. So basically what we're going to do is continue our discussion on using the evidence-based practice and what that means with regard to the research studies that clinicians use, good clinicians, um, the experienced clinicians, the ones who want to continue evolving their practice, know that there's research being conducted continuously in every field of science, especially in health sciences. There's always new procedures being tested and new theorems being tested. Um, And once it goes through the due process of the scientific scrutiny, Uh, they can be adopted into practice. A good physical therapist, in my opinion, is one that will use a combination of of tools and procedures that tends to have good, strong, supportive evidence, uh, whether it be recent or evidence based on uh, several decades of work, accumulative decades of work, where over time it has shown that it has been effective for many patients who are diagnosed or complaining of similar conditions or symptoms um, of a given disease pathology. So, so that we're on the, on the common ground as far as what constitutes a good evidence-based study or practice, the main one that we typically focus on is randomized controlled trials. Um, a lot of um, uh, businesses or industries in health, even supplement industries where they're talking about uh, taking a certain pill or liquid vitamin or uh, capsule to overcome a certain condition, right? 
they oftentimes will try to find or, or associate their product with a randomized controlled trial um, to further elevate their credibility for that product or service. So what is a randomized controlled trial? Within a randomized controlled trial, individuals are selected at a specific time in the history of a diagnosis and randomly allocated to two or more groups. One is going to be the intervention group and the other is going to be the control group or no intervention group. Randomization reduces the risk of bias caused by group differences. Okay, The benefit main advantage of the randomization um, control trial is that uh, you try to eliminate bias. You try to eliminate um, extraneous factors and even intrinsic factors. You have extrinsic factors, things that the environment can, can influence the study, and you have intrinsic factors, things within the study like the participants and or the tester, so the testee or tester, can influence that study. And what you try to do in proving or disproving a theory is to try to control as many variables and factors as you can to try to eliminate any potential disruption to the outcome. By doing this, um, controlling the as many factors and variables as possible, you're going to get a more clean, more uh, consistent, more reliable outcome that can be reproduced if anyone else wants to test it, uh, other groups or other um, individuals who want to test the study, if they can, can follow the same methodology applied to that randomized control trial, then they should have similar or the same, very same outcome with very minimal standard deviation of error. So as clinicians, we try to find um, studies that are hopefully double-blind, randomized control trials meaning the double-blind, meaning the participants and the tester really have no idea as far as which is uh, what variables are being implemented. So that way you try to, again, avoid bias, which can influence the outcome. And you want to try to minimize that and make it as objective as humanly possible so that you can uh, avoid any potential negative or any potential argument against that outcome. So in, in physical therapy and rehab uh, sciences, there is constant um, studies being done using this control method to try to prove or disprove theories. And uh, um, for it to be published in a peer-reviewed journal, for example, in a physical therapy or, or related peer-reviewed journal, basically the editors uh, who control what studies get approved to, to be published within the journals go through a, a, a process where they basically scrutinize it. They scrutinize the, the, the study. They make sure that the study was, was conducted properly according to certain parameters, especially if it's a randomized controlled trial. They want to make sure that you meet the standard um, approach and methodology when doing a randomized controlled trial study. Uh, the more factors and variables you control, the better outcomes you're going to get, the more likely you're going to be approved in these peer review uh, um, uh, journals to be published. And if you can get a published, um, a, a published um, study within a peer review journal, then you're going to have basically global recognition of your, of your theory or, or, or test procedure that you um, did. And it's good because it elevates the communication uh, amongst clinicians amongst the research scientists uh, community 
so that we all can be on the same page and then we all can either expand on that work or use it as motivation to proceed to the next level of study. Now with that, it, it brings me to the next point of as a clinician, I am not a, a professional researcher. I rely on um, individuals that are much more gifted than me and much smarter than me to do this scrutinization of implementing these randomized controlled trials. Um, what I try to do and keep my skills up on is, and, and what we were taught in the DPT school, was how to read and interpret these studies. Now, um, several of my classmates who I've graduated with have gone on to do PhD work in research because that's their that's their passion. They want to they want to control they, they want to contribute to the discussion and the scientific. An academic community and do research, and that's their passion. And we need those individuals to do that. Um, my skill set is not necessarily conducting research, but um, I like to implement the research that these brilliant people do into my practice to see what kind of benefits I can get to my patient and to my readers like you, or I'm sorry, readers and listeners like you. So my goal with these clinical uh, studies is to break down the methodology, see if see what I think about it, um, see if I think I can have a, a patient population or my listeners or readers who might be able to benefit from that procedure, and basically to, to simplify the process to apply it into the clinical setting. Now, with my experience um, in being in this industry over 17 years, what I've noticed is that when you have a very well thought out and structured research study, a randomized controlled study, double blind um, study, that it removes a lot of variables and factors that can um, blur the study outcome. Now with that being said, we have to understand that the clinical setting is not a scientific lab, okay? Does that make sense? So the challenge I have as a clinician is using that procedure within my own patient population in trying to get similar outcomes. Because my patients are not test subject necessarily. They're not going to be, uh, we're not going to be able to remove factors and variables in their life, whether um, extrinsic or intrinsically, uh, because there's just too many variables and factors I can't control as the clinician. And I can't expect my, my patient to be involved in a strict uh, method sequence of study to where I'm going to uh, change their life essentially for, for four, six, 12 plus weeks, right? So what I have to do is do my best to take that research study that was very well done and apply it to a real world setting and hope that I can get as close to the outcomes that they were able to produce. And sometimes it's challenging, and sometimes that procedure that I, that I uh, found in a peer-reviewed journal doesn't necessarily work for the majority of my patients for whatever reason. Again, there's too many variables and factors to consider. But we have to use that information as a guide to selecting and continuing to use the procedures that we have, that we were taught, that we learned, and um, it, there's always new techniques being advanced upon. There's there's a basic technique maybe that's been in, in existence in the in the rehab community for 40 years, and maybe they've continued to improve upon it. Maybe a different hand position or a different position for the patient for a, a particular con, uh, symptom the patient has. So just a little tweak here and there. If I'm able to take that from that research study and apply it to a patient in a different way and get maybe 
potentially better outcomes, then to me it's worth it. That's why I go through the the process of looking at peer review studies and making sure that I understand what they're doing and um, simplifying the process so I can ap- apply it to my patient care uh, population. Because if I can help just uh, even just one extra patient or one, one more patient with one uh, procedure that I learned by reading last month's study, well, that, that's great. I want outcomes for 100% of my patients so that they can get back to their life and be happy and continue to, to live a, a fulfilling life. So basically, just to recap, what we're talking about today is the evidence-based practice and what does that mean? What does that mean to you as a, someone who looks on, the, on a website for information or someone who buys a book um, about a health condition that you're concerned about or listening to a podcast about a health topic and what does it mean to be um, uh, uh, for that piece of information to be evidence-based? Well, hopefully the clinician, the author, what have you, has done their research and, and has been exposed to the evidence to support what they're talking about and why a certain procedure is used on a certain type of condition in a clinic, for example. And so you can be confident that at drjherrera.com, my products, uh, my, my episodes, uh, podcast episodes, my blog articles, books, whatever I'm publishing is evidence-based. Um, evidence-based starting from my education and evidence-based starting from my formal education and evidence-based on my ongoing education that I have to do to keep up on the ever-evolving uh, uh, rehab, uh, medicine rehab science that um, we continue to learn more and more every day of how to better influence the human body and how, how to help it, help it to heal and to stay active and to, to maintain its peak potential in health and wellness. So um, I hope that you have, have a better understanding of what it means to be evidence-based practice and why it's important that clinicians and um, health authors focus on evidence-based practice. Um, but I have, to, I have to also contribute in that sometimes the evidence-based practice is the first first layer of information that we have to rely on as clinicians and um, healthcare providers, and a lot of times we have to use also our own experiences that we that we have. Say if you've been practicing 10, 15, 20 years, um, that's valuable knowledge that I bring to the to my patients as I've been able to work through these various um, studied procedures and find patterns and consistencies that tend to be bring me positive outcomes versus lackluster outcomes. So there, to a certain degree, there is a combination of, of art and science that we have to use because I have to make decisions based on my experience, which is based on my formal training, but based on my application of that formal training in everyday clinical practice. So I hope you found that to be helpful. Again, if you have any questions or, or comments, you can go to my website at drjherrera.com and, and use a contact form there. Uh, you can also uh, email me directly at support at drjherrera.com. And if you like what you're hearing and you'd like to leave a review at iTunes uh, for the Dr. J Show, please feel free to do so. That helps the, uh, the iTunes universe uh, pick up uh, and recognize this podcast so it gets in front of more listeners. So if you can do that, if you like this and you'd like to share it, and if you can do that, that would be wonderful. And uh, I really thank you for your time today. For more free articles, audios, and videos, please go to www.drjherrera.com. That's D-R-J-A-Y-H-E-R-R-E-R-A.com. 
This is Dr. Jay Herrera thanking you for listening to today's podcast, and I'm wishing you healthy, pain-free living.